Today is June 5th, 2022. This is Everyone Has an Opinion. My name is Juan, and we are fresh off another big weekend in the sport of boxing. Devin Haney took home all four belts in the lightweight division after successfully dismantling George Cambosos over 12 rounds, just completely outboxing him. It wasn't competitive. Much like I said in the preview, I thought George Cambosos was going to be befuddled, bewildered, and completely confused by the jab of Devin Haney. Devin Haney is one of the best jabs in the sport of boxing, and it was on full display in Australia on Saturday night. I do not know what Cambosos' game plan was, and I'm not sure if he knows what it was. Was he trying to outbox Haney? Was he looking to land one big shot? I really don't know what he was trying to do. He didn't make any adjustments. He had over 50,000 fans there ready to scream their head off for him, and he gave them no reason to. They sat on their hands the entire night because their man was getting jabbed to death. He had no answers. I gave Cambosos one round out of the 12, and that was the second round, and even that round was fairly close, but I think Cambosos landed the biggest shot of the round. It definitely affected Haney a little bit, but that was it. That was the only time in the entire fight where I thought Haney is in a little bit of trouble. And that was a brief second. I don't know what Cambosos could have done. Um, I thought he should have been more aggressive, actually. I think he he should have kind of gone for broke there, like especially in the midway point where you're clearly losing this fight. You have no answers. You're not really being super aggressive. You're not being ferocious, which is his nickname. Where was any sense of urgency by Cambosos? Devin Haney looked completely comfortable in there. It looked like a sparring match. There was no point in time where Devin Haney had to pick up the pace. Why would he? He's easily winning the fight. Would I have liked him to step on the gas a little later? Start unloading with combinations, kind of like he was against Linares and Jojo Diaz? Absolutely. I wanted to see an offensive onslaught, but he really didn't have to. He was content with jabbing Camboso's head back snapping it back like a Pez dispenser the entire fight, marking up his face, touching him to the body. He didn't really land any big power shots. He didn't have to. Cambosos never made him. So the people that, because I was in in the room with two other people, both of those guys actually picked Cambosos for some strange reason. I think it's more to hate on Devin Haney. For some reason, some people like to hate on Haney. Um, But I understand how some people thought, like, oh, it was a boring fight. But there's no way you can blame Devin Haney for it being a boring fight. If you're not into the technical aspect of the sport and you don't like to see a guy just completely outclass another guy, skill for skill, I get that. But you can't blame the guy who's doing it. You know what I'm saying? You have to blame the guy who's content with getting jabbed at will. He didn't dive into the pocket. He didn't unload combinations. He didn't push um, Haney back. He didn't grab Haney. He didn't really try to make it rough. He didn't do anything to disrupt it. So the blame goes to George Cambosos if you weren't satisfied with the entertainment value of the fight. Haney did what he was supposed to do. He was a guy who jumped through hoops pretty much to get this fight. Even then, he was the second option. This was supposed to go to Lomachenko. Lomachenko um, was involved in the war in Ukraine. He opted to stay in his home country. He had the chance to leave, much like Alexander Usyk. Alexander Usyk did leave and is going to fight for the heavyweight championship. Lomachenko decided to stay with his country. The Australian government who was funding this event wanted a big fight. So it was either Lomachenko 
or for all the belts with Devin Haney. Devin Haney was the second option. And even in the negotiations to that fight, they said, you have to take less money. Devin Haney said, no problem. You have to come to Australia. Devin Haney said, no problem. If you win, we have a rematch clause that would give us the right to get a rematch. And that rematch would have to be in Australia. Devin Haney didn't blink. No problem. He was willing to do whatever it took. He didn't even have his father slash trainer, Bill Haney, up until maybe 12 hours before the fight. That's how many things Devin Haney accepted that were not at his advantage, that were not in his favor. Oh, he also had to sign a multi-fight deal with top-ranked boxing on ESPN. He also had to sign that. This was no problem for Devin Haney. I think he needs to be commended. He's only 23 years old, and now he's undisputed champion. Why? Because he was willing to bet on himself. He took less money, took the network deal, took the rematch clause, went to the other guy's country, smiled about it, easily won, and left with all the belts. It was Camboso's responsibility in his home country with the biggest payday that he's ever gotten, with the biggest spotlight that he's ever seen. He had the responsibility to show up, to give his fans something to cheer for, and he didn't do that at all. They were sitting on their hands. That crowd sounded like a COVID-19 crowd when there was no fans in the building. That's how silent Devin Haney made 40-plus thousand fans in Australia. They were hyped up in the pre-fight, in the um, co-main, in the undercard. But in that main event, Devin Haney went into enemy territory and silenced his critics and his fans. Of course, there's still going to be critics. There's always going to be critics, especially with the American boxers. We know why. There's always an issue. It's not a coincidence. I don't have to mention it. Put two and two together. You know why there's a bias towards the American fighters. If it was Lomachenko, they would say, oh my God, this is the greatest thing we've ever seen. What a master class. Wow, completely outclassed him. Usyk, who I love. You guys know I love Alexander Usyk. He's a heavyweight. When he goes in there and just disarms a man, takes away what he does best, and outclasses him, people say, wow, what a great boxer. What, a, what an incredible skill set on this man. For some reason, I like to quote Rich Dix here, this is a great tweet he put out earlier. If an American champion is a master boxer, they call him boring or pillow-fisted. Nope, Shakur Stevenson, Devin Haney. If the champion focuses on KOs, they say, oh, he's limited. He could be outboxed. Case in point, Jamel Charlo or Javante Tank Davis. If a guy goes to war with his opponent, toe-to-toe, they say, oh, he fought dumb or he fought the wrong fight, or he's risking it. Case in point, Earl Spence Jr., Stephen Fulton. In other words, there's always an excuse. There's always an issue when it comes to these American fighters. But they can say what they want to say. Critics can question it, but results speak for themselves. These American champions are putting together great resumes, stacking championships, and really building a legacy all while filling their bank account at the same time. This is a great era. I'll say it every single episode if I have to. We're living in the golden era of boxing, and I'm just proud that America is really dominating overall if you look at the numbers. In my top 15 pound for pound, eight of them are American. That just shows that the time is now for the American boxer 
we went through a little stretch where the Europeans and Mexicans were strictly on top. Now we have a great balance around the world. Speaking of world-class talent, Devin Haney wasn't the only one who shined on Saturday night. Stephen Fulton put on a masterclass as well, a Floyd Mayweather-esque performance. I saw, I heard it in person with a friend that I was watching it with and read it everywhere online. People were comparing Fulton's performance to Mayweather. That's exactly what it looked like on Showtime when he picked apart Danny Roman. Roman's a great fighter. Roman brought the pressure. Roman brought the, brought the body punching as expected. But Stephen Fulton just had an answer for everything. Whether it was the movement early or the hooks late, he dominated this fight. Roman won a couple rounds and was very competitive in spurts. But Fulton, if he wasn't dominating a round, he would always pick up the pace and outshine Roman just to win the round. He did an excellent job of really controlling the ring, moving, jabbing, knowing when to be first, knowing when to counter, pot-shotting him, then loading up with shots later. It was just brilliant. Great fight by Fulton, and he continues to do it different ways. We saw him go toe-to-toe with Brandon Figueroa from round one to round 12. We saw him get into a volume battle with Angelo Leo to win the championship. This fight was more strategic, more technical, and smarter than his previous performances. This felt more like a statement. His last two fights, yep, he beat his opponents at their own game. This one, he said, no, I'm just going to dominate from round one to round 12. There's nothing Roman can do to really disrupt it. He can eat body punches, or um, Roman can throw body punches, rather, and, and Fulton really took them well, really ate them, and showed that that's not the only thing you're going to be able to do to get to me. That's not enough. You have to do more. And while Roman tried and Roman gave a hell of an effort, Fulton was just always one or two steps ahead. It was a master class. I don't know how you don't have this guy in your top 10 pound for pound. He continues to dominate top competition. He's beaten three of the top five opponents in that division. Next up has to be MJ Akhmadaliev for the undisputed championship. A true 50-50 fight. And that would just be icing on the cake. But right now, Fulton is definitely one of the best in the world. And it's, it's a complex style that he has, but I can simplify it right here. He's winning in different ways, and he's doing it against top competition. He's checking all the boxes. It might be too late, but buy stock on Stephen Fulton as soon as possible. Another guy whose stock is rising to the moon is David Morrell Jr. David Morrell was on the undercard of the Stephen Fulton fight. David Morrell put on another hellacious performance. This guy is going to give anyone at 168 problems. I don't care if your name is David Benavidez, Canelo Alvarez, Caleb Plant, Charlo if you're moving up. It doesn't matter. This guy is going to be a tough out for any person in the world who weighs 168 pounds. That is how good this dude is. He destroyed Calvin Henderson. And shout out to Calvin Henderson. Did not know much about him heading into this fight, but he showed he's tough as nails. He didn't come to lay down. The referee had to stop it. He took a lot of punishment. I don't know how he's, he survived the fight, but he definitely didn't come just to take a paycheck. He showed up. He landed some good shots himself, but the onslaught from, Hen- from Morell was just out of this world. Combinations. Footwork, head movement, feints, 
He did it all. Applied pressure. Backed up a little bit when he had to. Was patient at times. He does it all. We just need to see this dude ASAP in a big fight. I don't care if he only has seven pro fights. This guy is the real deal. David Morrell Jr. Google him. We all have YouTube. Look this guy up if you're not familiar with the name. David Morrell Jr. I'll say it again for the people in the back. If you're a super middleweight, you want to avoid this guy at all costs. This is a problem you do not want to face. If David Benavidez is serious about fighting Morrell next, then he needs to win an award for biggest ball sack of the year because this guy is coming to take your head off. He is only seven professional fights into his career and he's already among the most talented in the entire sport. Benavidez Morrell, to me, is quickly rising on my list of most anticipated fights that I want to see. It's going to be all action. It's going to be a hellacious matchup. And it's one where I do not know who's going to win. That is how I view David Morrell. He is on that level. We'll just have to wait and see what's next for Morrell. Hopefully it is the Benavidez fight. Um, we'll see what's next for Fulton. We have an undisputed fight that's in the, in the works, I think, with MJ uh, Ekmedaliev, like I mentioned earlier. Hopefully that is on the table. And as far as Devin Haney, it looks like the rematch, but you never know. Rematch clauses can be ironed out, can be avoided. There's been many cases where guys just don't want the rematch. Canelo Alvarez had a rematch clause against Beevil. He elected to go a different route. And it's happened other times in the past, especially when a fight is this one-sided. There's really no reason to have a rematch. I get there's a contract in place. Bob Arum is a very smart man. I'm sure he could maneuver his way out of that contract and move into something else. Maybe Devin Haney wants to move up. I personally think Devin Haney is someone that would benefit from moving up, much like Tiafima Lopez. Their body seems a little too big for that weight class, starting to get a little older now. Um, they're not 20 years old anymore. 135 is definitely harder to make, and I think Haney would actually be much stronger if he moved up to 140. I hope he does move up, unless he's going to get uh, Tank Davis, Ryan Garcia, type of fight like that, Lomachenko, one of those big names, but if it's the rematch or move up, definitely move up, you're undisputed at 135, nothing left to prove, outclass Cambosos for 12 rounds, we don't need to see it again, the people in Australia don't need to see it again either, so hopefully he moves up or gets one of those other big fights. As for this week, we have a fight on a Tuesday, which is very rare, Tuesday morning, if you're on the East Coast, I believe the fight should take place around 8 a.m. for the main event. And it's got a good one. It's a really good one. It's 2019's Fight of the Year. Naoya Inoue, the monster, returning to fight Nonito Donaire, the living legend, future Hall of Famer. Nonito Donaire put on a great effort in their first fight, an instant classic. It was the finals of the World Boxing Super Series leading up to it. It was the story of Naoya Inoue, one of the best fighters in the world, vicious knockout artist, destroying his competition, destroying champions and collecting their belts against Donaire, who was on a late renaissance, just barely getting to the finals. And we thought, okay, Donaire has had a great career, future Hall of Famer, but he's up against the next best thing in the sport, and Inoue is going to kill him. Well, 
that didn't exactly play out that way. Donaire turned back the time and had a performance of his life, breaking the eye socket of Naya Inoue, but Inoue was just too much, dropping Donaire late in the fight and really solidifying himself as the winner. Um, not, a, not a controversial decision by any means, but a great fight in which Naya Inoue proved to be a little too much for the aging veteran with tremendous heart and a true will to win. Since the loss to Inoue, what has Donaire done? Uh, nothing much. Only fight Nordin Obali, who is the undefeated champion, knocks him out in four rounds. Then Donaire goes on to defend his championship against number one contender Raymond Gaballo. Gaballo was 25-0 with 20 knockouts. Donaire knocked him out again in four rounds. So both of his opponents, undefeated, world-class competition, the old veteran, Nonito Donaire, knocks both of them out in four rounds. On the other side, Donaire had a great defense against Jason Maloney, knocks him out in seven rounds. But since then, he had two really low-quality opponents in his way. One he knocked out in three rounds, the next guy he knocked out in eight rounds. Again, lower-level guys, just stay-busy fights, really. The Maloney fight was great, but then two really tune-ups, and now he's ready for Donaire. This is going to be fireworks. I don't see how this isn't going to be exciting. Someone's getting knocked out. I can't see this going the distance again. Donaire is hot right now. He knows what he needs to do, and that's land his left hook. Not only does Donaire have one of the best left hooks in today's boxing, he has one of the best left hooks in the history of boxing. Look up Nonino Donaire's left hook. It is a true weapon. When you think of guys with just one specific devastating weapon, you think of Wilder's right hand. When you think of Wilder's right hand, you need to also think of Donaire's left hook. It is amazing. It is the thing that made Inoue's eye look ridiculous. <laughs> look at this guy's eye. One of them is much smaller than the other. That's because he ate a left hook from Nonito Donaire. Wherever that left hook lands, it does damage. So Inoue needs to be extremely cautious when it comes to the left hand. He can eat a few right hands from, from Donaire. But that left is not something you should be willing to exchange with. Not something you should be willing to receive. So Inoue has a tremendous arsenal. So he needs to avoid one thing. Donaire needs to avoid everything. Because everything Inoue throws is hard. The right hand to the body. The left hook of his own. The straight right hand. The uppercut. Inoue has it all. That is why he is among the top 10 best fighters in the sport. Pound for pound. This guy is truly a monster. He runs through competition. This is going to be explosive offense versus explosive offense. Something has to give. This is the rematch. These guys have been 12 rounds with each other already. They know what to expect. They felt each other's power. And they're going to let it fly Tuesday morning. This is a great treat. I'll be up, I'll be at work, I'll be finding a way to watch this. It's simply something you don't want to miss. It was a fight of the year in 2019. If it is anything close to that, you're looking for another fight of the year candidate. Donaire, 39 years old, living legend. This guy is still at the top of the game. The fact he's even in this position is remarkable. Lightweight guys. And I don't mean lightweight 135. I mean the extremely lightweight that these guys are fighting at. Bantamweight, flyweight. Those guys 
tend to age quicker than older guys. You'll see guys in their 40s, heavyweights, still fighting. You rarely, extremely rarely, see guys this small at this age still delivering at a high level. That's why we got to praise guys like Chocolatito and Nonito Donaire. What they're doing is unheard of. This is not something that comes along very often. Manny Pacquiao was in that ilk, but even he was a welterweight. These guys are even smaller than that. And Donaire is at a point where he's even cut weight and dropped weight late in his career. It's truly a rare thing in any sport to see something like this. And we're going to see it Tuesday. One of the best in the world against one of the best of all time. It's going to be a war. It's one where it's really hard to call. The smart money's got to be on Inouye. He just has too many layers to his game. He has too many options for victory. Donaire, I think the only option is the left hook. But you never know. This is, this is a good one. I can't wait to see it. I'll be rooting for Donaire. I love that guy, but but the monster in a way is so fun to watch. Just tune in. It's going to be on ESPN. Find a way to watch it. If you can't watch it live, go back and watch it without knowing the results. It's a fun one. I'm out. That's all I got for you this week. Next week, we got Edgar Berlanga. Might do a preview on that one, and I'll probably recap the in a way Donaire fight. Subscribe if you haven't already. Give me that five-star review. Tell a friend to tell a friend's friend. And your boy's out. Peace.